When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the LSE Day Trippers. It's Monday night, and that can only mean one thing: it's winners and losers. I'm the host tonight, Keith, and I'm joined by Monday night regulars um, P, Dicko, and Kev. Um, lads, how are you? I know Kev, you're not a Monday night regular, but you're in every other night regular, so we'll show you yes. a Monday night yeah. banner as well. Um, Dicko, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I know it's been a while, and I was tempted, as the same before we come on, I was going to put my hand up for last week, but I, it felt a bit like, you know, glory hunting sort of thing. So off the back of a disgraceful performance, I thought, yeah, let's go on this week instead. Yeah, this sound, this sounds right up your street. This is more your wheelhouse, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bit of moaning. Oh yeah, we, we we wouldn't have it any other way. Pete, how are you? You're not sitting in an airport cubicle this week, no? No, thanks, thanks be to Jesus. I'm, I'm back in <laughs> back in sunny Spain. I'm not surrounded by gammons in the UK, <laughs> well, down south. So I'm, I'm, abs- I'm delighted to be home. But it's bizarre, you know, that my experience in the UK working last week pretty much mirrors what we're gonna, some of what we're going to talk about today. Great to see Dicko back. Dicko, is this 2018 again? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was watching something going much further back than 2018 <laughs> at the weekend. Well, if there's any gammons in the chat, we apologise for uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Of course, there's not. <laughs> gammons out always. <laughs> Kev, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Um, one more game till the break. And do you know what? With all of the football that we've watched since the, since the World Cup, I need a break from it now. Um, I'm at that stage with, not just with Liverpool, but with football in general, that the oversaturation of football is killing me. You know, I used to be an absolute vacuum for every kind of football that was going from League One, Championship, Germany, Spain, Italy, Premier League. I watched everything. My missus, my missus loved life because she didn't have to see me in the weekends. I was gone. <laughs> but, <It's>, <laughs> but like... At the minute, it's like, it's bad enough watching Liverpool at the minute. It's hard, right? We get that. But everything else is turgid as well. And yeah. it's not being helped by, again, another one of the topics we'll talk about through the, through, through the show. Other than that, I'm good. Oh, yeah. That's it. We get on that way. Looking now. forward to yeah. St. Patrick's Day as well. Nice Ah, uh, yeah. Weekend. Sure. Wouldn't, why wouldn't you be? You know, yeah. a, a nice long weekend to see the festivity the festivity um, started in London this weekend. Yeah. And Cheltenham, it's Cheltenham week as well. So for yeah, any, any any racing fans out there, it's, it's like Christmas Eve. 
Yeah, yeah. The bookies that Lloyd played and end the day and stuff. Aren't they trying to get in there when Cheltenham is on? It's a blatant nightmare. But anyway, tonight, winners and losers. You've all seen the show before. So what we're going to have is we're going to have four topics. There's going to be two of us are selecting a loser and two of us are selecting a winner. So we'll get straight into the swing of it. So we'll start off with Dicko. What's your topic? Yeah, my winner, I, I, I know we'll come on to Liverpool later. Um, but oh, we really shot, <laughs> we, we really handed the initiative, didn't we, back to our, our top four rivals. And then obviously you had United's um maybe a surprise, but not probably not to everyone, but obviously they with them getting a man sent off, they they drop points. Um Spurs you know they dispatch of Nottingham Forest as you'd expect, but I think this was the this was the weekends that all Newcastle fans, I would imagine, would have been looking at as one that they really had to get back to some semblance of form and put in a performance, get three points, and they did exactly that. You know, I watched that game um, obviously because you know the, the relevance to us now. Um, and in fairness, they've obviously had the distractions of a of a cup run all the way to the final, the prospect of winning the first trophy in generations that passed them by. But but I think you know I think their league form suffered a little bit as a result of that going so deep in that in that league cup. And now I guess they've now got the benefit of having a sole focus, which is top four, and they're absolutely you know in in amongst it. Um, you know, the games in hand because of all of all of sort of fixture congestion are associated with that cup and whatnot. And you know, I thought I thought they handled it well yesterday. Wolves, as we know, can be tricky. They pegged them back, but they didn't kind they weren't deterred by that. And um, you know, they, they were able to bring on like the top scorer from the bench, bit of squad squad depth that they've got, and um they were able to get the winner. So you know they they they've come out of this weekend really i think i would imagine with a, a renewed kind of belief that that this is up for grabs this fourth place because you know there's so much inconsistency around them you know especially from two teams who you would say are better than them on, on paper in liverpool and spurs but newcastle are definitely there and you know we shouldn't we shouldn't dismiss them as as rivals for that for that fourth spot, or even maybe third. Who knows what happens to United over the next few weeks? It, it obviously be doing us a great favour if uh, if they got dragged in and 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 it was you know there was two spots up for grabs rather than just the one. It's the biggest um, thing about Liverpool, isn't it? And we'll come on to them later on. But when you see Manchester United dropping points. You really do see that there was an opportunity there to reel them back in. And while Newcastle and Spurs are probably looking at it and thinking, yeah, there's two places up for grabs, Liverpool made it hard. Before we move on to the boys here, just to for their opinions on Newcastle, Nigel whacked in a super chat two hours ago. Uh, fair play. Wow. Um, hoping for another Liverpool miracle on Wednesday. 1 5 to the Reds. By the way, thank you for the fantastic content as always. Look, thanks for the super chat, Nigel. Um, as everyone knows, that'll all go towards the charity. Um, the breast cancer research, the the twelve ladies running the Dublin Marathon, and you know everything that we get through Super Chats goes to the goes to that cause. So thanks very much for that. We'll discuss a bit of that in a while. Um, 
with between the lads. Uh, I don't think it'll be a long conversation, but we'll give her a bash in anyway. Um, but Newcastle, uh, Peter, I'll come to you. What do you make of the town army at the moment? Do you agree with Dicko? Have they given themselves a good chance? I don't see anything special about Newcastle United at all. I hate them. To be honest with you. No, <laughs> genuinely, I don't. Um, I think Wolves are an extremely poor side. And Newcastle looked decent in patches against them. In saying that, they should they should have had a penalty against them. They should have had a player sent off. Whenever I've seen Newcastle when it's time to reform, the problem with Newcastle, I think they suffer in front of their own fans, more so even than we do. They've never been able to conquer that, and they really get the stage right in front of their own because I don't know if you've ever been to St. James's Park without being there, and I think they it frightens them. Uh, and when I mean, forget about whenever it gets to cup finals, don't know whether it's a club, but I mean, I saw Eddie Howe's post that he put around the, the training ground that you know, remember lads, we haven't won a trophy since 1969. I don't know what kind of management that was, <laughs> um, to be quite honest. I know Eddie Howe is supposed to be the super genius, the answer to everything. But talking about, it, you want to get everybody's thinking away from that. Whenever things get important, like the night against Liverpool, they completely swallow it. I think Newcastle will fall away and end up sixth. Uh, I think Spurs will do the same. And we will have a charge. Liverpool are at their most dangerous when nobody expects them to do anything, when people write them off. When people expect Liverpool to do well, like some, uh, like Saturday morning, they 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 inevitably throw throw a bollock in and, and do something ridiculous. But whenever it's up against it, I'm not saying that about Madrid, but seven nil versus Manchester United, I don't care where you play them. That's that's Liverpool all over. We've got big games. I look at you know Chelsea, look at City, look at the Arsenal. I think we'll win all those games. And um, but New uh, Newcastle, yeah, Ray, I take your point. Newcastle are brilliant at wasting time, but you have to have something to hold on to. That's okay against Wolves and against the Shy, but I think when it comes when it comes to the big test, Newcastle fail every single time. They just didn't show up at Wembley. You know, I just I don't I don't understand why everybody's saying, "Oh, I don't I just don't think they're a realistic contender." They don't know how to win. I suppose are the same. I fancy us for four. Dick, are you want to jump fighting in there? I sense you are looking to. No, fighting talk, fighting talk from Pete. I mean, um, they they play United again in a couple of games time, so that'll be a big one. Um, you know, as to as, as to which direction they're going to go. They've got a fairly what you would you would think a fairly handy game against Forest on Friday night. So, um, yeah, I, look, it's in the face of the fact that we've got three really difficult fixtures coming up in the league. Um, couldn't really get much tougher than the next three in some respects. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I looked at them and said four points maybe for us. If we're only getting four points over the next three games, like we're going to have a real struggle to, to make ground on some of these other teams above us. So I'm not, I'm not bullish. I'm not bullish. I know we'll come on to us, but I'm not bullish. Indeed. Kev, what do you make of the Toon Army? Sniffer 1973 is delighted a little old Newcastle living our heads. Listen, Sniffer, I've no problem with Newcastle and the people in Newcastle and the Geordies and all that stuff. I actually like Newcastle as a team. I don't like Eddie Howe. I don't like the the new um sense of inevitability that they're just gonna be buying toils. The same way I don't like with Man City. It's nothing personal against you boys. Certainly not living right. No, no, everyone listen, Newcastle is your pet dog. Everybody likes Newcastle. You've Newcastle are on. I remember when Kevin Keegan was in charge. Everybody likes Newcastle because they're not a threat. They're like a big dog with no teeth. 
they're loads of fans. They don't do anything, and their fans are fun. I've, I've been at, when I lived in West London, used to go and watch them whenever they'd come to town. So if Fulham were playing them, I'd go. And everybody was entertained by Newcastle supporters because they're they're the clowns of the Premier League. They're great crack. They're good people. You know they have <laughs> fat, fat fans with bald heads. And they go around naked in the window. It's great. It's entertaining. Just want to say, they don't threaten anybody. They don't win trophies. They're, it's 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 a great show in Newcastle in, in town. But in, inevitably, everybody beats them, and they end up with nothing. So, you know, it, what, what the reason they're in people's heads right now is they're hanging on a little bit longer than they normally do. But they'll do their usual. They'll fall away at the end, and they'll win nothing. You know, and and you know, Eddie Howe again. Somebody asked Eddie Howe. If he thinks that spending should be capped, then he came out and said, "No, no, because we won't be able to do what we what we want to do as quickly as you want." So he's more or less saying it's going to be about spend, spend, spend. And I like Eddie Howe, but no, I think Newcastle is everybody's second team. They're no threat. They're like a big dog with no teeth. Red Steve, I think Red Steve, I think Red Steve's got a point. You know, they don't have to be amazing now to yeah. clinch their fourth yeah. place. They that's, just need to be less shit than the rest of us, and we're that, proven. That's it in a nutshell. A helping yeah. hand, isn't it? Yeah, that that's it in a nutshell. Look, Newcastle have three or four really, really good players. Um, Bruno Gamarish is a very good player. Kieran Trippier, lovely player, really like him a lot. His delivery from set pieces, his delivery from wide is excellent. You have Isaac to hit up front. You have Wilson to get in on the back of that. They're effective at what they do. Botman, I think, has been a brilliant signing for them. But at the same time, like Steve says, they don't have to be excellent. This season, 70 points could get you for less. It's like the one mm. thing that you can say from Man City down the league, all the way down to the bottom, the only consistent thing that you can say is there's no consistency. Nobody's consistent. And anyone can get on a run. Four or five games, the table looks completely different. You go and win five games. The table is completely different and you have different conversation. Can they get over the line? That's a huge question. The other thing that comes into play is the, um, the inevit inevitability about what happens if they get into the Champions League. We all know what's coming and it, it's going to be very difficult for anyone else to compete with what they're capable of doing. But on the flip side of it, my feelings on Newcastle, the club, the ownership, well known. Can't stand them. The lies that have been told to get them into in the door is unbelievable. The amount of shit that Newcastle fans have had to shovel to justify their ownership is just no odds to no one. And fair play to some accounts on social media that are Newcastle accounts that don't shovel shit and they'll get hounded for it. But at the same time, I don't like the off-field stuff. Never, never, never will. But some of the Newcastle fans that I know, some of the Newcastle fans that we've had on a Friday night show, they're really sound people and they're football people. They have gone way, gone to football way before the money came, yeah. and they'll go when the money. They'll still be going into the Gallagher when the money's gone. They're the people I, I kind of feel for in a way because, unlike Man City, Newcastle will fill their ground every week. Newcastle Stadium will be alive with real fans who will make a real atmosphere. Yeah, 100%. and if you can convince top players to go and live in Newcastle rather than go and live in London, because look, the money is in football around the league. Going to Newcastle isn't a big payday. There's plenty of paydays in the Premier League. You know what I mean? Keller Navis is a Nottingham Forest for fuck's sake. He was a yeah. he was a PSG last season. Yeah. You know he's a Champions, Champions League. He's a Champions exactly. So if 
Nottingham Forest fighting relegation can attract Keller Navas for a couple of years. Anyone can end up anywhere. I think that's fourth, third and fourth. Last week, after the Man United result, I was bullish, bull on for chasing down Manchester United. Thought, beat Bournemouth, win our game in hand, beat Tottenham. We're attacking Manchester United and we're going to finish third. That loss at the weekend has crippled us in more ways than one because of the way, because of the manner of the loss. I mean, we beat Man United by seven. We had eight shots on target, right? We seven and went in. We're brilliant. That's fine. We had four really good chances against Bournemouth and we couldn't, couldn't take any of them. We didn't help ourselves. And it's the likes of a Newcastle. Conte at Spurs. I think Spurs are absolute dog shit. But Spurs mm. with the likes of Kane and Son have goals in their side that give them give them a chance. That's all they had. That's all any side needs now to finish fourth is to be to, is for someone to open the door. We've left the door wide open for the others yeah. to punish us. And we got royally punished at the weekend for the loss the for for that one loss. We got away with it for previous weeks where we lost Spurs would lose Newcastle would drop a points Manchester United were dropping points Chelsea were nowhere to be seen suddenly Chelsea look like they're finding a bit of confidence Newcastle pull a win out we lose that three-point gap that we were hoping for with the game in hand is suddenly six and look there is they're in with a shot I think at the start of the season the, the Evan, the Newcastle fan that we had on, would was aiming for conference football. If they had qualified for Europe, that was the be-all and end-all. And when you look at the squad that they had, it yeah, it, it's a, it's a European Conference Europa League squad. The fact that everyone else is rubbish has opened the door for a possibility of a Champions League spot. Mm. And they've as good a chance as anyone. You know, <clears> and mainly because they're stingy at the back. Yeah, I think that's the key. That's I think the that's key. the key, isn't it? And if you look at the two teams there, Spurs and Newcastle, I think Spurs have the firepower that can get them into third or fourth. But I think they've one of the worst goalkeepers. I know he's not in at the moment, but I don't trust their defence and I don't trust their goalkeeper. Even with you <coughs> when he's there, I think is one of the most error-prone goalkeepers in world football. Whereas Newcastle have, I, I don't like Eddie Howe. I make no bones about that, but. They've signed excellent and built their defence. Their, their success is built on their defence, really, because you mentioned Trippiard and you mentioned Sven Botman, but they also brought in Dan Bourne and Nick Pope. And, you know, that really did give them a base. You know, they don't score many goals. They don't concede many. You know, they're, they're a very much um, a 1-0 or 2-1 type of team, you know, that way. And yeah. That's what I see Newcastle's strength being, just being solid and hard to beat. They've only lost three games, two of them against us. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they're a really, really a hard team to beat. And, and I do agree with everything that was said there. I think they're taking advantage of a down season for everyone else, but you have to take advantage of it. Do you know what I mean? Like other teams are throwing that away. Newcastle are placing themselves. And they go, yeah, really, it's a great win for them at the weekend because they want their look, they get pegged back and they go on and win it. And they are up against Wolves, who, you know, their league table might not or their league position might not reflect them i mean you're looking at a team there that have a damn triore playing for them so really yeah they should be up way higher they should be challenging for europe with a dam on the on the wing for them so you know it's a good win for them and again we'll slag them we'll slag spores 
Liverpool are no, not much better, you know what I mean? So we're not in a position to be really slagging anyone. But Newcastle go down as Dicko's winner of the week. So, um, Kev, I'll come to you next. What have you got for us? Mine was a loser of the week is the PGMOL. Um, I know we're sick of hearing about the PGMOL because two years ago, nobody knew what that was. You know, we, we've we suddenly became aware of all of these associations because of VAR. I'm a huge fan of an advocate of VAR and it needs to, for me, be massively improved. And some of the ways that they can improve needs to be done either through the, B, the PGMOL or remove the PGMOL and create a, a new entity for, for referees to come into the game. We've had a referee sacked in the last few weeks for horrendous mistakes. Referees' decisions are affecting league positions. And ultimately, I think a side is going to get relegated because of refereeing decisions this season. Or a side could get into the Champions League spots because of refereeing decisions. Anthony Taylor yesterday missed that Casemiro tackle. Well, he didn't miss it. He saw it. He gave it a yellow card. That was a horrific tackle. And the fact that he needed to be told to go to a monitor to check that is a disgrace and he's one of the best referees apparently that we've got supposedly the best yeah and over the last few years up until probably two years ago i think he probably was but whatever's happened to him this last 12 months it's 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 crazy we can't like i could predict what referees decisions and justify what decisions they were making pretty easily in my head no problem i didn't have to go to dale on espn's twitter feed to what the hell is going on here now Howard Webb has come in and Howard Webb has come out with a statement saying, I want VAR to at all, whenever possible, go with the refer the on-field referee's decision. All right, hang fire a sec. Wind, just, wind it back a bit. That's not why you're there. Yeah. The video assistant referee is there to help the referee on the pitch make the right decision, not to justify him making a wrong decision by compounding it and making it worse. The other thing I'd love to see are two things. For the life of me, I don't understand why the Premier League, the richest league in the world, bar none by a country mile, hasn't already adopted the semi-automated offside technology that's already in the Champions League. It can be introduced mid-season. There's absolutely no reason why it can't. You get faster, more accurate decisions, and there's less time waiting around dilly-dallying for for these two, three minutes for the right decision on offside to be made. When it comes to offside, it's black and white. I'm, I'm very much along the lines of, look, it's, it is what it is. It's black and white. It's right or wrong. But the semi-automated technology that we've seen in the Champions League, we've seen it working in the Champions League. It's fantastic. The decisions are made in seconds because we saw it through the World Cup and it's evolved into the European competitions. There was absolutely no reason why this shouldn't have been implemented into the Premier League now. You know, the other thing I want to hear is the conversations that are had between the referee and the VAR are heard and brought and recorded by the broadcasters. The commentators hear the conversation, so they're recording the conversation. I want to hear that conversation in the post-match analysis of the games as to why decisions were made in the way they were made. I understand that we're never going to get a situation where we can hear it live like we do watching rugby. I understand that we're never going to get there because for whatever reason, football is just behind the times when it comes to that. Cricket can do it. 
NFL can do it and have been doing it for years. Rugby is doing it, but football is just, nah, it's not for us. But there is absolutely no reason whatsoever that that conversation cannot be recorded by Sky, BT, whoever is the host broadcaster, and it's edited into the highlights package and the analysis of the game post-match. I think, as fans, it would help us understand why decisions are made, and it might, in the long run, help referees. For but us, It'll help us to understand their decision-making process. In turn, it will help us understand why they're making the decisions on the pitch. And we want, I won't need to have these conversations on on YouTube anymore. It's like the Casemiro one just boils me. The Nick Pope one, I don't understand. That's a red card. That's a four game ban. That's a penalty to Wolves at a crucial time of the game. And they're down to 10 men. They could collapse. If Wolves go down, that's huge. Three points at Wolves' end of the table is, is massive now. Whereas now Nick Pope stays on the pitch, Newcastle go on and win the game, and it could be the difference between them getting into the Champions League or into a conference spot. We don't know. The Casemiro one, he's the referee saw it, or he guessed one of the two, gave a yellow card. That was shin high. That was a shin high over the ball tackle with his wrong foot. He tackled with his right foot. To, his, to the right-hand side. It was a coward's tackle. It was a coward's tackle because Casemiro went in with his wrong foot over the ball in a way to protect him from getting hurt. And if the other guy's foot was planted, that's his leg broken. 100%, that's a leg-breaking tackle. That's a horrific tackle. And a referee on the day decided that's a yellow card. I'm sorry. What are they doing? What has Howard Webb come in to do? To give instructions to these referees that are giving these kind of decisions. It's worse than getting, you know, and it has to change. If the PGMOL can't make the changes that are needed, the Premier League have to look at this because it's affecting the product. And we have the best players in the world, supposedly. Well, some of the best players in the world. We have some of the best managers in the world, no doubt. Why on earth can we not employ the best referees from around the continent to work in the league? They're quite, I mean... They should, why aren't referees freelance in the same way as players are free to travel and work in associations across the continent? Why can't referees do the same? Did you hear Pierre Luigi Colina's absolute tripe about no. calling up matches if a team's getting a hoiding, not playing any extra any injury time, just blowing yeah. her up? That's ridiculous. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That is ridiculous. Um, on the back of us, absolutely lumping Man United. Um, they're talking about. I've seen, I've seen that happen. Mercy. I've seen that happen before. Yeah, yeah. But the, the I've seen being there, there watching games, you know, international games have been like eight nil or whatever, and then they're just blowing on ninety, <laughs> just put the team out of misery. Yeah, madness. But Dicko, what do you make of the the standard of the refereeing and the PGMOL gangster well, cartel that's in there at the moment? Look, it, I, it, in some I've slightly kind of not necessarily disagree but i've slightly different view than kev when it comes to some of those decisions where so the one for example casemiro is getting a yellow card and then it goes to var and it's it's changed to a red i get the original decision was wrong but but at the end of the day that was kind of what var was brought in for it was to it was 
it was brought in to correct an original wrong decision. So by following that logic, I guess it did its job there. I mean, just picking up on what um, picking up on what Chris Golding. Uh, I think said in the chat, I mean, the United fans are adamant that that wasn't a red. Goldbridge is on a crusade to uh, to have it overturned. Yeah. Wants to expose Andre Mariner. I presume Mariner was on VAR, was he? Yeah. I don't know. Um, so, you know, um, they, they, they're living in sort of cuckoo land, really, if they think that's not, um, if that's not a red. And, and, you know, then you get the usual of putting up random tackles of Liverpool players that, that didn't get red cards all over social media just to just to kind of try and make a point uh which is which is utter nonsense. When it comes back to the refs, the thing that is that like I, I'm finding more with referees these days is the overall standard of refereeing during a match is 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 has got worse. It's generally got worse. And I know that's I know that's a sweeping statement, but the times now that you you will see you know people whose team won the game, uh, including some some of you know some of our own games, and people will immediately come out and say like that referee that refereeing performance by such and such was absolutely shocking. You know, consistently getting you know fouls wrong, consistently getting you know corners wrong or, or throw-ins wrong or, you know, not pulling players up and giving yellow cards when things are going on, you know, the dark arts are at play, time waste and all this sort of stuff. There just seems to be a lack of control and consistency in, in general. And that's something that VAR can't, can't correct. Like it can't correct the general uh, poor displays of, of referees that we seem to suffer from some of the, names thrown in to the chat, you know, Taylor, uh, David Coots, you know. Paul Teeny's playing disgrace. Teeny is, Teeny is, is possibly the worst yeah, of the lot the worst, when it comes yeah. to that overall, you know, within a match, how he is, how he, how he kind of communicates, how he seems to have a knack of, you know, wind the managers up. You know, it's 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 like it's 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 some skill really that he's got in terms of how he how he goes through ninety minutes of football. So there's plenty of them. I, I think I think you know, my my I, I give the obvious exception. I, I think Michael Oliver is a very decent referee. You know, I, I you know I think he's a level above all the others. And when I see him in, you know, Champions League and whatnot. He, you know, he generally, you know, covers himself in 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 a lot of kind. He comes out of the games with a lot of credit. You know what I mean? I think the players respect him as well. Um, but but there seems to be a massive fall off with the rest with the rest of the referees. If there's a big game, you know, Liverpool United, Liverpool Man City, or whatever, you know, I want to see Oliver man referee in those games. Generally, we get we get we get stung with 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 substandard refereeing, but look, it it's happening. It's not just us; it's happening all over the place. I would have been absolutely livid if I was a Wolves fan yesterday, um, and 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 seeing how blatant that that Nick like he it was it was all it was a different situation, but it was a carbon copy of 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 his his instant panic. You know that it, that that went through his mind like he did against Liverpool. You know when he had that 
immediate panic that he had to do something crazy. And he did exactly the same. And I, and I, and I, you could see his body language. He realized straight away that he, oh, he was like, he, he thought he was absolutely, you know, done at that point. And I'd say he was absolutely inwardly flabbergasted that he didn't get sent off. And that 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 did change things. And and as Kev said, that would have been four games out. You know, who knows the impact? Um, the, 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 that that is a, a scenario that should, should never have happened with the benefits of VAR. But the, the original mistake was was upheld and, and compounds the anger. I would imagine. Yeah, indeed. Pete, what do you make of it? Um, Eric Ten Hag came out and was absolutely his mind was blown at you know a red card for Casemiro and, and two penalties not given. Now. Listen, we're not, we're not, there's no point in asking managers. We're, we're missing the point. It's not about the quality of referees. It's not even about the decisions that are made. It's about what the British, what the, what culturally, what British, ref, what the system, PGMOL, it's about what they're trying to avoid, which is transparency um, and accountability. Like, if you take, for example, the biggest nightmare, the Referees Association don't mind all the social media stuff, all of the the reporting stuff. They don't mind all that because it's just, again, even the Premier League don't mind that because, again, it's just everybody perpetuating the talk about the game. That's part and parcel. They What they do is they write that off to everybody has an opinion on the game. What they are fiercely trying to avoid is, uh, first of all, transparency. If you throw your mind back to when Harry Kane was awarded a penalty after 20 minutes deliberation by a referee in the lines of whose conversation was caught. I don't know if you remember, about three seasons yeah, yeah, ago on yeah, camera. Yeah. That's what they're afraid of. John because Moss. everybody everybody picked up on the fact that John Moss literally couldn't make, oh, I'm just going to toss a coin <laughs> and give a penalty. He that's asked Martin Atkinson, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Martin, that's, can you have a look? No, we can't check terrified, that. They're terrified of that culturally. And it, it, it'll bring, you, bring us into our point later on what I'm going to talk about in my subject but the other thing that they're 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 terrified of transparency and they're also terrified of accountability it's that british thing it's my decision so when a referee for example is called to a monitor and, and this is why a lot of these decisions aren't called the referee won't go because it's like the the reason for the monitor is somebody says in your ears listen something has happened that you may not have seen and the referee more up with no i did see it i've just decided that it's, for example, there were three challenges in the Chelsea-Leicester game. I've no skin in that game, but there were three challenges and probably two of them should have been red cards. But the referee was like, no, I've seen it and I'm deciding. You know, he didn't even go to the monitor, I think, in two of the occasions. And I think what Manchester United fans are picking up on, and this is what kind of annoys you about the whole thing, is they're comparing Casimiro as a standalone challenge is a red card. He's dived in. He's caught the boy, hasn't got the ball, he's gone. So it's all childish stuff. The ref, the, the manager is always going to say, oh, it shouldn't have been. He's going to say, he's, going to, he's lost. At the end of the day, Casimir is 31 years of age. This is his third red card in four, second red card in four games. He's a fucking Egypt, to be honest with you. And, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about ineptitude. It's a red card. However, this what about really about another six challenges that happened two games ago or yesterday? That's all nonsense. To be honest with you, and then from the referee's perspective, it's just what they're terrified the most of. And this is and this is why Kev's original point that the PGMOL are losers is that they don't want. If they wanted a, a good system, they'd mic up, they'd let you hear what they're saying, 
and there would be a real transparency about it. But culturally, the British mentality won't allow won't allow for that. And we'll talk about it later on. But forget about so forget about transparency, forget about accountability. They are not interested. Indeed, indeed. We'll talk about my subject. We'll end on a happy note. We'll go to my loser of the week, and that is Liverpool. And look, I know it's easy to have a dig at Liverpool, but the reality is, you know, you three can have your say on them. But um, something dig out that you actually said in WhatsApp earlier was about the, the fact that they're losing to these bottom of the table teams, and, and there's something going on there that, you know, it, it, it just doesn't make sense that what's going on there. But, you know, we can't have any arguments over VAR, I don't think, at the weekend. Can we, we get a penalty, a correct decision, by the way? But, uh, mm. you know, we, we had a chance to, to win that game. But um, yeah. Liverpool, I spoke about them last night with Gav. Um, frustrating. It's, it's so frustrating to watch them at the moment. But when you see them losing, the amount of games, the away games they're losing, the... The, the teams that can be, but no disrespect, the Premier League is different now. Teams are good, you know what I mean. The, the bad teams can turn you over if you don't put in the effort and you don't put in the the graft to to get something. You'll not be handed on. And I just can't understand Liverpool's um, inability to turn the screw this year. You know, we spoke about Newcastle, probably a bit harsh about them and Spurs, Manchester United, and Tord. None of them are great, you know, and that's the biggest frustration for me is that Liverpool have an opportunity here to regain the control and they just keep throwing it away. They keep shooting themselves in the foot and it's so, so frustrating. Um, Kev, I'll come to you. What's your take on, on Liverpool at the moment um, and their inability against weaker sides? It's The frustrating thing for me is if you look at the table, if you look at a group table of Liverpool against the top, six sides we've got the most points against the top six but we've probably got the lowest against of the top six we've probably got the lowest against the bottom the bottom half of the table it's um it's the one thing this i, I watched pep guardiola's news conference the other day and he talked about getting it getting up again and again and again and again year after year after year after year and being in contention and it, it wears on players. Now, I'll give Man City their due. Guardiola has them competing at the very top year on year, on year without fail. They might not win it, but they might not do well in the Champions League, but they're more often than not first or second, more than likely first in when it comes to the Premier League. That's a mentality thing. Ours, that side, that squad is at the end of a cycle. And... It needs a massive rebuild. We all know this. But mentally, they're not there. And that's the scary thing because the senior players that have mentally checked out on this season. And there's no other way to look at it because they can get themselves up for bigger games. They can get themselves up for the Man United games. They can get themselves up for Everton. They can get themselves up for even against Real Madrid. That Real Madrid beat us in the second half of that game and punished us for stupid mistakes that we gifted up. But that first half, we were well into that. We were well in it. And if you can get up for those games, but you can't have the same driving mentality to get up for the Bournemouth, the Wolves, the Fulhams, the Brightons, these Bournemouth. kind of games. The, you, it, it reeks of a Brendan Rodgers side going to Swansea and being entitled to something. That's what it feels like at the minute. Is You've got entitled FC, we're Liverpool, we've done this in the last five years. 
and we're just going to turn up and someone will do something and on the back of five clean sheets we'll get a win you talk about us getting away with well, we'll have enough to discuss with VAR for Liverpool Kanata could have been sent off in that game remember Virgil pulled back Dom Solanke mm. let him go just in time but there was a player going in on goal and Kanate fouled him outside the box. They checked to see if it was a foul and if it was inside the box. If that was inside the box, it's a penalty. Kanate was yeah, I don't man. even think it was a foul, to be honest. No. I think he got the ball. But, no, he didn't. He got the, he got the, he got the he ball. Got the ball but he got, and he got the man. I think he got the ball. But, of course. We've been screwed over on them many a time. So we'll, we'll let but it, but it's a, the, point, the point is, we're opening doors and giving these sides hope and chances. You were saying it last night. They're giving these sides hope and chances. That guy, that young kid that played for Bournemouth, right? You're playing on the right wing. You're playing against Liverpool. It's going to be... He's the from Burkina Faso. He is, by according to the, to the highlights that I listened to, the best player to come out of Burkina Faso ever. That game is going to be broadcast in his country. He's going to be bursting a gut to make an impression in that game. He's under 21. He's the second most assists in all of the top five leagues this season. For an under twenty-one year old, and he's playing, he's playing at Brighton, or sorry, at Bournemouth, for a move somewhere else. It's money balls. What we used to do, these players are putting in the effort to get a move somewhere better, and we just turned up and expected something to happen because they're just the mentality is not right, the attitude is not right. It's not tactical. It's not a problem with tactics. It's not a problem. Klopp doesn't walk over the white line. This is a pride thing when it comes to players now. We create enough chances in that game to win that game. Any side that you play against is going to create chances. They're going to get the odd goal here and there. But we're not taking our chances. And any, I think it was you, was it yourself or Gav said it last night, and you were dead on what you said. The slightest bit of adversity, and it's like the whole world has come crashing in on your house and pissed on all your chips. It's like they don't know how to deal with it anymore. And that scares me more going into next season about the size of any kind of rebuild because if the senior players that we want to keep and build around can't get their mentality right, it's got to be a long it's got to be a long road back. It's the one thing that when Klopp came in, everyone was hungry. They're all hungry for success, and they all bought bought in mentally to the target and to what they've achieved. They've won football. They've done everything. But can they go again? Can they get up and do it for a second time and a third time? Jury's still out now. There you go. Liverpool, we know they're you know they're not at the races at all. And Kev touched on it there. You know, it's it's people can blame Harvey Elliott and can blame Stefan Bojetic and can blame you know Ben Doak and can blame this and that. We shouldn't be playing these lads. Big players are uh, are not doing it. Do you see this? And I'll, I'll name I I'll name check these all the time, and people don't like when I name check Salah or Trent or Virgil. I think they're sort of not really pulling pulling up the pulling their weight this year for whatever reason. Do you think it's just down to a mental um, fatigue after last season, just going for everything, getting so close to everything, and it came crashing down? Or do you think there's more to it? What I'm trying to say is. Do you think next season these players can get back to their best? Is this just a down year for whatever reasons and next year we'll see the best of them again? Or what way do you see it going? Do you know what? It's like our season. It just feels so hard to predict. You know, I, I just can't kind of 
I can't gauge where it's gonna where it's gonna go. Say from August next next you know next well next season August this year, like it's like if you just think about some of the results that we've had, like it's almost like every week the result that we're expecting doesn't happen. You know we've beaten you know we've we you know we won a game nine nil earlier in the season. Uh, you know, we beat Manchester City. You know, we go to Spurs and, and we and we win there. You know, even more recently, we we win at Newcastle when probably people weren't expecting us to. You know, we were quaking in our boots for the derby. We win that handily, and then we absolutely, you know, dismantle Manchester United seven nil, unprecedented. But then on the flip side, you know, you go into other games where you know you see, you know our own capitulations against the likes of Brentford, Brighton and Wolves, you know, then these are these are these are proper, you know, good old fashioned beatings. They're not, you know, they're not they, we're not unlucky in them games. And then we lose to bottom sides in, you know, Forest and Bournemouth this weekend. And you just you you just left scratching your head because whenever you think you might have an answer to something this season you just start doubting everything again. You know, it's like, you know, in terms of individual players, you know, you, you, there's so much inconsistency from players that we have come to depend on. The likes of Salah, the likes of Trent, even Virgil this season has just been, it's just been all over the place from him. And I know he's had a bit of time out with injury and stuff like that. And And, and look, it's given... The platform maybe for the likes of Harvey Elliott and Betchetic to come in and and do some things, but that's just a measurement really of where we've gone this season. It's just a measurement of how far we've fallen really. Because if all we were all guns blazing and we were going for the league and all that sort of stuff, those lads would be coming in and giving us twenty minutes here and there, and we'd be getting the best out of all of our top players who we've depended on. Uh, for many seasons. So, look, it's a mixture of things. You know, last season has definitely left its impression on on the players, left a mark on the players. The World Cup has made this a really weird season. They've got to keep it going until, you know, I was just looking there the other day, a plan to go to the last home game of the season. And it's, it's the 20th of May, for Christ's sake. Like, I mean, you know, and then we've still got another game the following week. You know, so it's going to be a really long season on 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 the squad. Is another reason why I don't feel confident that we'll get fourth because I just don't see it either in the legs or in the minds anymore that the, that they're going to be capable of doing this. So, like, you know, we need to. You know, the big concern is we need to invest in the squad in the summer. I, like, I know we've made some handy signings with the likes, you know, Gakpo. You know, I think we've seen some you know positive things out of out of him in recent weeks um but we need to we need we really need to strengthen that midfield and we probably need to add some more depth at the back as well um you know it's it's good to see Kanate stringing some games together but can we depend on that not not quite sure um yeah and if we're not in the champions league yeah Let's just let's just hope Jude comes. That's all I can say. Pinning all your hopes on Jude. Love it. <laughs> Peter, Liverpool. Um, let's cut to the chase. I mean, if you want to use excuses, like we often do, 
you can talk about the World Cup, and or you can talk about the fact that we played every single competitive game that you could play last year. And um, but lots of players played in the World Cup, and we only had seven. And you should be geared for success if you've had it. To be honest with you, the difference between good, really good, which is what we are, extremely good, and great, is often rootlessness. And I think back to the twenty odd years when Alex Ferguson was torturing us, and the thing that stuck sticks out in my mind about him is he was absolutely ruthless. Very often he would just get rid of someone, maybe two or three players who you think, my God, these guys are at the peak. What's he doing? How is he going to recover from that? Because it was a mixture of t- the, their heads were gone. They were big time Charlies. They had had the success. And he was he was smart enough as a man to know who he could look in the eye and go, who's going to repeat the success again and again? He maybe look at someone like Paul Ince and go, no, you've had your field, you're big time, you're gone. He might look at Rude Van Nistelrooy. You think you're a big time Charlie. You're causing problems. You're gone. And their fans are like, what's he doing? What's he doing? And he'd freshen it up. I think Klopp is a little bit too loyal. Sometimes you have to make an example out of someone that everybody rates. For, for example, if it was me, Kato would I would be releasing him on a free last January because your greatest ability is your availability. That fella is never available. It's a joke. We've too many fellas like that. So you have, you have a chance to show the rest of the lads the standard here is that you keep yourself in tip-top condition and you have to be available or you're gone. It's too. It's great that he... I love the throwing arms around people and being everybody's father, but sometimes you have to be an absolute bastard if you want to succeed. Like, the, the great, for, as, much I, as much I hate to admit it, arguably the greatest manager of modern times, certainly, be, you know... I exclude Shankly and Paisley, obviously, but Alex Ferguson, time and time again, when you, how many times did, how many cycles, how many teams did he turn around to the same effect? Because anyone that remained in the squad knew what the standard was. I just think there's too many fellas. To be honest with you, I like Trent, but his attitude stinks. His face is looking at Henderson, telling them what to do. See me, you're off. And you'll be watching the next three games. I don't care about your greatest hits, great assists. You're out. <laughs> you're out. Because you don't do that to your captain. Anyone that steps out of line and tells your captain to fuck off, watches the game for two or three games till he doesn't do that again. It's too much loyalty to fellas that aren't giving it back to him. And some of the, like very often Manchester United would suffer. They'd lose games, three and four, and people would say, is it over the top? No. All the time he was establishing what the standard was to play for Manchester United, to be consistent and to be up for every single game. He wouldn't accept that. And Klopp shouldn't either. I don't think Klopp... I think Klopp needs to be more ruthless. And I'm hoping this summer that maybe there'll be a couple of surprises. You'll be like, oh, what's he getting rid of him for? What's he getting? Because he's not doing it. He's not doing it consistently. Yeah, indeed. Look, it's frustrating, Nori, to say, but we will just suckle up. Like I said, we could go out and beat Madrid. We could go out and beat the three Premier League games that we have coming up because the players will get themselves up for that. I hate seeing them not doing it for the smaller teams and it's so frustrating. Well, look, next year we'll be back. We'll go again. We'll uh, we'll rebuild them and see where we are. As as just touched on there, the midfield does need bodies and it does need legs. That will happen. We know that because players are going to be leaving and it'll be just interesting to see what happens with that so look that's Liverpool done we've all had our say we're going to end up on a winner and Peter this is you let us yeah. know what have we got um, I have to say Gary Lineker and just to frame this to be honest with you I know it's been done to death over the last few um, the last few days but 
to frame this, I mean, this this woman, Suella Braverman, Corella Deville, as I call her, introduces, wants, attempts to introduce a, a bill that will, I mean, we won't go into the ins and outs of the politics, but that will essentially demonize children, even children coming off a boat off the English Channel. I mean, it's insanity what's going on. But that's not the, everybody can have a, an, an argument. I don't want to make the argument about that. You can have your opinion either way. But then you've got the BBC that has on numerous occasions come out and said, oh, we remain neutral and we, we take a neutral stance. It turns out neutral when it suits them. So if you take, for example, Jeremy Clarkson, who not too, not too long ago decided that he wanted to say on his Twitter account that any uh, families, uh, any strikers, people going on strike, should be taken outside and shot in front of their families. No action taken against him. He's a BBC presenter. Then you've got Andrew Neil, who basically fronts and funds uh, right-wing uh, organisations up and down the country. No action taken against him. Then you've got Lord Sugar, probably the most vile creature of them all. Among his litany of, of sins goes on and and uh, prints a, a Photoshop on his Twitter of Jeremy Corbyn sitting beside Hitler. I mean, it's amazing what these right-wing gamins have to do. They actually have to Photoshop things because their world doesn't actually exist. Gary Lineker not, doesn't cast aspersions, likens language used by Braverman to language used in the 1930s in Nazi Germany. Now, that's a fact. It you know, fact. dehumanizing language is what she used. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to debate the merits of immigration. I'm not, I'm not here to debate those merits. I'm telling you that, that an organization, the organization that he works for, says that it's neutral until, it's neutral until you present a left-wing or a left of center view. Now, let me tell you what's wrong. What, what, why I think Gary Lineker is a hero. Gary Lineker, like, 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 unlike many people who are are left centered in their brain, is independently wealthy, um, and is comfortable enough that it doesn't matter to him. So he could easily, if Gary Lineker tomorrow changes Facebook to Gary Lineker MBE with a six Union Jacks along. Ex English cap England captain and went to Peter Shilton row. People would just shrug their shoulders and go, Yeah, you'd expect that. But he's decided, no, that's not who I am. I'm gonna to stick to who I am, despite the fact that I'm Mr. England and I'm gonna go the other way. And I just think it's extremely brave. You know, I would put him now in the category of people like James O'Brien on LBC, people that are actually standing up and saying, Well, no, you know, you can you can think what way you like, but you have to qualify your opinion. And you cannot take a position, even as a broadcaster, and say you're neutral. When I mean, you look at the the organisation that he works for. You got Richard Sharp, who's the chairman, who basically organised an 800 grand loan for Boris Johnson. You know, you've got a, at least four or five people sitting. I mean, Robbie Gibb, who basically was Theresa May's, you know, uh, communications advisor. You've got this litany of conservatives. You know, listen, I have nothing against the BBC. I've done work with the BBC, and I'm grateful for it. They always pay on time. However, don't pretend mm -hmm. to be neutral. And, and then, for example, go and commission a slaughterhouse piece about Qatar. Don't pretend to be neutral. Don't pretend that you take a neutral stance when it comes to politics and leanings, when really you, you, then you immediately move to suspend somebody like Gary Lineker, who's done far less than... As I said, Jeremy Clarkson, who is a disgusting human being, uh, Alan Sugar, and you know Andrew Neil. It's just crazy. So for that reason, that reason alone, Gary Lineker is my absolute winner of the week.
Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, <clears throat> I know we don't want to go down the political the no, route no, no. of it and all, but the, the whole thing with the um, sending them to a, a safe tour country in Rwanda is just absolutely baffling to me. Like how Rwanda can be seen as, you know, a safe haven for these um, migrants. You just look at the, the Madagascar plan that the uh the germans had in the turkeys for the jewish people and you'll see the parallels there but dick i will come to you what do you make of the whole lineker um debacle there do you think anyone mm. came out winning do you think um it was always going to end the way it ended or what do you see what your take on it yeah i mean i, I firstly the, the 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 aspect that i did like out of it it was the fact that you know when when gary lineker was you know essentially taken off the air for match of the day you know i think you know you got to say it, it sort of you know it was heartening to see that all of his colleagues around him rallied around him and they so, you know, there was the solidarity there of other presenters co-presenters commentators um standing behind you know guy lineker on that on that principle um and obviously um it had the bbc i can imagine I can only imagine, you know, what was going on and the firefighting and the crisis management and all the long hours and calls that were that were probably going on be, behind the scenes to try and come up with some kind of alternative. And uh, I don't actually know. I I don't even know what they did. Did they literally just show games without comment? I don't know. I didn't even yeah. with Liverpool with with Liverpool not being part of the. Uh, with part of my thinking on after Saturday's, you know, mess of our own, I didn't have any, um, didn't have any desire to go watch a match of the day anyway, whether there was anyone on it or not. So that was the aspect that I did like. Now I, I was a little bit disappointed that it all kind of, you know, it all ended relatively quickly, you know, and that you know this kind of you know sort of agreements being reached and whatnot, and he and he's back on. I I think I would have had more respect for Gary Lineker had he have told the BBC to you know what what they could do with the with their job. To be honest with you, I mean it's it's a bit it's you know it's a bit convenient now to be going back to a job that what pays him about 1.5 million 2 million a year well, he has a know. contract he has a contract there going it goes two ways to be fair i mean listen this whole thing is a distraction as you know is a distraction for for the for the government in the uk you know away from a disastrous brexit so let's not get away from the he's, he, i don't think he should be made to fall on his sword because basically he's called people out i think that's unfair as well he's got a contract and at the end of the day if he ends up in court and he breaks that contract you know it's costly so i don't see why you should have to pay the price for other people's distractionary you know tactics to be quite honest with you so uh, i think uh, I'm, sure he had his re I'm sure he had his reasons but i just would have i would have given i would have given a bit more respect if he'd have at the very least made them made them squirm and sweat over this a little bit but well, they have they are squirming they are squirming um look i mean you know it basically everyone's opinion on gary lineker is you know essentially based on their you know party political persuasions and i've seen comments in the chat one way or the other you know and it probably links to whether they're you know left leaning or right leaning but look um you know it the b the bbc at the end of the day you know they, they've brought this mess upon themselves now they were they, you know i think in my view they were they were way too hasty 
in 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 taking them off the air. Um, there was other avenues and other ways that they could have handled this. Um, as Pete says, you know, it, it can't be one rule for one and, and different rules for others. You know, you have to apply consistency. And they've been, you know, they've been caught out on, on this one. So, look, um, I'm sure it will rumble on over the coming days and weeks. There's obviously going to be new policies and guidelines social media you know look this again it come the other the other aspect of this is is social media like you know you know like, I, I think so like, organizations are just they're so behind the curve with all of this in terms of making sure that that you know that they understand some of the some some of the uh implications of 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 people having that platform you know um we've seen it in the earlier days of social media with footballers themselves falling foul of going out there and making, you know, silly, putting silly posts out on, on, on the likes of Twitter. Um, I think clubs, you know, have obviously, um, you know, managed to educate all footballers at, at this stage. And we see a far, far less sort of gaffes being made, but um, yeah, this look, the, the, the days of everyone handling social media, um, to the way that that organisations expect them to, is still a little way off. Yeah, I think. Indeed, Kev. You know, one of the things that came out was you had the likes of Nadine Doherty's coming out saying, you know, the, the the BBC can't be seen as impartial. Well, all the time it was pressure from authority government that were sort of pushing the the agenda one way. What did you make of the Linegar affair? Look, originally my loser of the week was the BBC. But I knew Pete was going to be talking about Lineker, so I changed my mind. Um, the BBC have handled this atrociously. And the reason is they cling to this notion of being impartial and unbiased. That's impossible. Mm. Being unbiased in today's world, in the media, is impossible. Because you look at the amount of channels the BBC cover, local radio, world service, reporters all around the world, Plus the broadcasters that they have on terrestrial television. They can't control everything and they can't monitor what every single person does. This Tory government are terrified of Gary Lineker and people like him because Gary Lineker has a platform. And as Pete says, he's independently wealthy and he doesn't give a shit about what he says. If he, He'll say what he thinks and he'll back it. He'll back it up if need be. You've had other BBC presenters do the exact opposite and nothing's happened then what pete said about gib and the, the rest of them the, the report the directors at the bbc and the way they handled lineker to take him off air shows that they bent to political pressure because they were at the dispatch box on the thursday screaming for lineker's head yeah. and by the next day he was pulled from the air everyone yeah, exactly. walked everyone exactly. walked walked with him from his own alex scott Alex Scott is at the start of her career. She's a woman. She's a woman of colour. She's trying to make her way in football. And she walked. She she was one of the first to come out and say, I would I'm not going. I wasn't booked to be on it. If I was asked, I wouldn't go on. The likes of the local radio commentators who do not earn savage money all pull their services from the weekend. This was an unofficial strike in every mm. every every way you look at it, it was an unofficial strike. Yeah. Any yeah, other industry breadth, will go in. Length and breadth of the BBC, yeah, you know, exactly. up in Scotland, didn't matter. Yeah. 
TV, radio, whichever, you know. I mean, the thing is, the one thing that the BBC was always prided of itself and was respected around the world, and is respected around the world because of, is the notion that they're neutral. There's a big difference between the word neutral and impartial. If you're impartial, if you're trying to be impartial, you have to give balance to both sides. We saw through Brexit that giving balance to lies is nonsense. Whereas if you're neutral and you're independent, yeah. if you're independent, then you can call the bullshit. Yeah. The best, most reliable news coverage I've seen in the UK in the last decade is Channel 4. Yeah. It does have some government funding, but it's kind of like RT in that respect, yeah. where it's partially funded by the licence fee, but it's also a commercial station. Yeah. And they're probably the most independent news coverage that you'll get in the UK. So, sorry, Kev, before you go any further, mm. uh, can I ask you, Keith, just two things to call out. James is, James is fact here, which is not a fact. Yeah. It, it's a misnomer. It, what it is, it's because of the condensed timing. It's proportional, so they actually lost viewers. So James, yeah. I know that a lot of gammons, hang on a second. I know that a lot of gammons are kind of saying <laughs> that, but again, that's gammon, that's gammon right wing. Yeah. And the second thing, there's a there's a comment, a disgusting comment from another gammon, and it, you can always see that they never put their real names. It's just it's usually a, a fake name. That's how you know gammons. You lot have lost the plot. I'm afraid. Stay out of politics. Lineker was out of line. End of now. Smoke screen for Brexit. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. Stop it. Guys, please don't turn this into some ideological woke fest. I hate... I hate that Hang on. I hate these racist gammons using the word woke as negative. Let me tell you something. I'm woke and proud. And the reason I work so much lately, whereas I I wouldn't have worked 15 years ago or 20 years ago, is because the world has gone woke. So I'm sorry. You had a 400-year head start, Mr. Friday's cold one. So please, fuck off out of the comments. In fact, get rid of him. I hate these gammons. Get rid of them. Get rid of them, please. Oh, I didn't see that, boy. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Get rid of it. I'm looking, I'm scrolling. He see that? He did, the word yeah. woke. woke is a positive. Anyone that's watching it, yeah. woke is a positive thing. It means yeah. that you're alive and awake to the inequalities that have been driving this world for centuries. Anybody yeah. using woke as a negative term is a racist asshole. Yeah. Get rid of them. I agree with you there. I can't understand anybody that's proud to be anti-woke. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's, I, it just baffles me. It's like, tell me who you are about the language you use. Well, you know, it's usually it, a fake name, Kev. It's a fake yeah. name because these people are fucking cowards. I know. You know what I mean? I know. I'm but look, I mean, you know? go back to, to the thing, right? If you have a BBC that's independent, okay, and, and an independent BBC, I think, to the wider world is important because the BBC's broadcasting to country to virtually every country on the planet and if you can trust what they're telling you is the truth then it's something you can you can rely on the difference of what happened last week was the the way they bent the way they they folded under pressure and you're seeing the pressure being told today now with the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg and the extreme far right of the Tory party calling for the pulling of the license fee Ultimately, this is their threat that they hold over the BBC. If you look at it from another angle and you turn around and say, well, the guy who formed GB News is now on the board of directors at the BBC, which he he is. And he was appointed by this government. And if you turn around and say, well, hang on, he was sent in there to wreck the notion that the BBC is independent or the BBC has the ability to be impartial. (coughs) He's doing a fucking good job of it. No, 
Lineker comes out of this really well because it's not a new thing that he decided to wake up in the morning and just tweet that. He's consistent in what he said. Neville uses his platform, and he's a, he's a right pain in the arse at times. But there are t there's two things with Neville. You you go and watch the, the overlap last week. You go and watch the interview he did on the overlap last week that he did with Alexander Rusick. And it's probably one of the best podcasts, video podcasts that I've watched in a long, long time. Brilliant stuff. And then you go and listen to his punditry in Sky. And then you look at his Twitter feed. It's like there are three different personalities in there. <laughs> you look at Lineker's per social media, mm. and then you look at what he says when he's on television. They're one and the same. They're the same person. You know, He's never gone on the BBC, on the television on the BBC, and been, said anything controversial, apart from the Qatar World Cup, where at the start of the introduction to Match of the Day, or sorry, to the, the BBC's coverage of the World Cup, he spent about a good few minutes talking about the problems with the World Cup being in Qatar. Now, he, like Pete said, they're under contract. They have to go and cover this. They could have pulled out if they wanted to. But would you rather be there and say what he said from there? Or would just, oh, Gary Lineker sat at home. Oh, so what? You know, it's it wasn't going to affect the World Cup being held there. If the, if the journalists, the Miguel Delaney's of this world, and the other journalists who went there covered it, covered it warts and all, as opposed to some of the sanitized coverage that you got. Look, ultimately, for the sake of the of Britain and the Britain I left ten to twelve years ago compared to the Britain of today, the two are completely different countries. And I think if there's any chance of Britain getting back to the Britain that it was, and I hope it does. I loved living over there. I really, really loved it. But something has to change. And the messaging and the ability to consume information in the UK is is so toxic now. It was I could never envisage a time where the equivalent of the National Front would have a, a platform on television to <clears throat> speak on 24-hour news station and that news station lose 30 million a year and it's all just written off it's and that's what's happened and that's it's what's happened that's what's GB happened news. with it's gb depressing. news gb news lost 30 million pounds last year and they'll still be on air and next. they'll still be on there next week and not, nothing will change it's vital that you have an independent bbc that can stand up to its employer its its funder and call a spade a spade when it needs to be called and at the moment, they're afraid to. And you're you right, look at you're the likes right, of Emily Maitlis, right. who's left, and yeah. John Sopel, and all these stellar names from the BBC have left, and they've formed their own podcast because they weren't free to talk about what they, what needed to be talked about. James O'Brien was on Newsnight, and he yeah. walked away from it because he wasn't allowed to say what needed to be said. Yeah. And you're right. And that's, you're an editorial right. that's an editorial choice. And you're that right, has Kev. to change. To be honest with you, if you look at, for example, something like Brexit, you know, the Brits are so frustrated. The British public is so frustrated, you know, that the older people have voted and it's absolutely disastrous. They've been lied to. So, but rather than say, listen, we've been lied to, how do we get around this? How do we get out of it? They, a lot of them would rather double down on the lie, put their fingers in their ears and blame foreigners trying to, trying to escape war zones, trying to escape horrors in their own and blame them. They prefer that. That's what I find profoundly depressing. But anyway, mm. Look, it's one of them things, isn't it? I think, um, 
you know, Gary, I think what got lost in the whole thing, my two cents on this, what got lost on the thing is the, the tweet the was absolutely nothing in it. There was nothing in the tweet that was controversial, that was wrong, that was antagonistic. Do you know what I mean? It was very much just a, have we no sense of humanity anymore for these people? The language is similar to what came out in Germany in 1930s. Because it was. no mention of Nazis. Yeah, no mention of Nazis. That all came from the right side. They expanded on it, yeah. 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 And rolled with it and turned it into a bigger thing than it was. People are going on like, he said something that was absolutely inflammatory. He didn't. It wasn't. And that's the, the thing that's that's why I think a lot of people do support what, what Gary Lineker said. Because if you if you are against what he said, well then I think you need to take a long hard look at yourself in the mirror. And that there's no other way to, to say it. If you were if you're against what he says, as far as I'm concerned, you're a bit of a scumbag and you're letting the world know what you are without saying what you are. And and look, there's nothing really we can do about that. But I just think it it got blown out of proportion, and and I just think it was no. It's, again, it's like Suk- yeah. Yes. It's like it's like Suk- Sukbeard is saying there. It exposes the fear. What it is is like we said about referees earlier on. What they don't want is transparency, and they don't want to be exposed for what they are. I mean, and you only have to look behind the the premise of impartiality to see what really drives it, and that's that's you know the the, the right wing agenda to cover up for this. I mean, the the Tory party is thirteen years in power. And Britain's education system, its banking system, it's absolutely in the toilet. So they need a scapegoat. And the convenient scapegoat is foreign people. It's just the way it works over there. It's the way it works. Let let me tell you something. And so there's a fear of the truth. There's a real fear of it. Let me tell you something. This next next election in the UK is going to be fought on two things. What What is a woman? And stop the boats. So fear. Fear, basically. Fear. They can't run on the economy. Wars. They can't Culture run on wars. the public services. Yes. They can't run on wages. They can't run on housing. They issues. can't run on the NHS. No. It's like the United States, Kev. You know, the, the Republicans, they say, yeah, they talk about banking, and then they get in and they say, Hunter Biden's laptop. It's the same principle. Culture war, transvestites, people who are transgender. It's all about culture war. So you're, yeah. you're trying to appeal to, to older generations Get out and vote unless you want all of these horrible, horrible, you know, gay people, horrible uh, transsexuals, horrible people inv- invading your lives. Those are the people you should be afraid of. Yeah. It's the same in the UK. They they can't run on the platform of issues, so they run on prejudice and fear. It's and yeah. people lap it up. That's what the I. That's what that's what it terrifies me. Terrifies yeah. me. I wish people would ju- and I mean just going back onto the on what I mentioned earlier around the solidarity of people coming out and standing behind um Lineker and all of the co-presenters. I mean, I just wish that that same, you know, and then that was that's to me that seemed to be widely, you know, you know, sort of accepted and, and yeah. sort of you know celebrated. I, I just I just wish sometimes people would apply the same logic to some of these you know, some of these workers who are standing up for, for yeah. some of their beliefs and yeah. how they're being treated, you know, in the workplace. Um, because that doesn't seem that doesn't seem to be um replicated, you know, when it comes to, you know, the the, the nurses or the postal workers or, you know, the, the train drivers. Treated, you, you, know, you know what I mean? They're 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 there are the parts of society who are starting to be demonized, which, you know, living in Ireland and looking across at that sort of thing, it does make me extremely sad. It really does. Yeah. 
that's a sad state of affairs right before we finish up lads i just want to throw in that the show was brought to you by bookmakers.com i forgot to say it at the start bookmakers.com uh go over and look at the website sign up great stuff over there if you're not into gambling which not people not all people are you have other stuff there gav is doing a podcast with them every week and you know it's it's a lot of information that you can take in so really give it a look and give it a subscribe if you can while you're in the mood for subscribing have a look at the old uh, bang average golf as well gav's having a stinker on there trying to play with (laughs) clubs so give that a subscribe as well it's actually a good crack if you're into the golf i'm not into golf and i'm enjoying it as well but um before we go i do just want to say again about the charity you know any help we can get for the the charity push you know it's 12 ladies from ashbourne the gaa club and they're running the dublin marathon for cancer research and you know these aren't athletes that are doing this these are just 12 mothers you know what i mean 12 women that have decided to try and do something and you're right it's to be applauded anyone that can help any little bit you can do if you can share it that might be the key, you know what I mean? If we can share it, if we can donate, contact the email address, lfcdaytrippers at gmail.com. If you want to donate prizes to the golf day, things like that, every little bit helps. So anything we can do on that, if we can just push that forward as well, uh, we, we'll never apologize for pushing charities forward because, you know, it's one of the things we're really proud of on the show is that we, we do try our best to help where we can use our platform for positive things, you know what I mean? So if we can keep doing that. I know he's getting annoyed with saying it, but we'll never apologize for it so before we finish up pete thanks for joining us tonight great to have you getting a lot of good good comments in that and um, chat tonight great to see you back pistol p ah uh, well listen the other day football is important but god my god the world is falling around it's falling apart around our ears yeah. it really is you know 100 100 dico you came early tonight which is unusual for you uh <laughs> thanks for joining us Thank, thank, thanks, thanks for that compliment, uh, Keith. <laughs> um, it's you know it's been stated in the past. I'm sure it'll be stated again in the future. You're um, yeah. One last thing, because like we, I, I'm amazed we've gone through what an hour, sixteen minutes. We haven't even mentioned the fact that there's a big Champions League game. I, I'm just going to give my prediction because you know I like a prediction. Go on, um, Go on you can think, all have a prediction. Dick always a Jonah for anyone yeah. that doesn't know. I know, I know. Although I did. I called the last two weeks perfectly. I, you know, I knew, I knew that was, I knew we, I knew we take care of United. But I also, I also enjoyed every minute of the content that was available all the way up until twelve thirty on Saturday. <laughs> I knew what was coming. Yeah. Um, but my prediction for um, the Bernabeu is uh, a two-one win for Liverpool. Not enough, but but a win nonetheless. I like that. Come on, Pete. What's your prediction for the Bernabeu? I think, I think we win it. 3-1. I think I think they you know it's like stick or twist for them. Agony. So I think I think we just about fall short. Uh, Thanks for that. Kev, you're in you've evicting people and all tonight um to get on the show. We thought you might have been late. You got in on time. Yeah, got in on time. Um I'm hoping that we can go and put a I'm just hoping we can go and win. Just go go to the burnabout and win. It it's a tough place to go. Look. Anfield to us, you know, on a European night is huge. It's a big advantage. The Bernabeu is a huge advantage. To the is it though? Yeah. Is it, Kev? It, no, in I've Europe, been, it, I've been there. It's a museum. In Europe, it's a museum. in Europe, it is. <laughs> it's it's a serious, serious stadium. When it comes to Japanese tourists running around taking photographs, there's no. Well, I'll tell you, no. whatever it is about the tourists, yeah. mate, they, and, and the, the Madrid day trippers, they have a tendency to get results at home. 
in Europe. They're <laughs> a very, team. very tough side to beat. I would, I'd love to go in and just go into the international break on a positive. I'd hate to go in on the back of, of anything other, you know, something that can wipe that Bournemouth performance away and just let us bounce into the next two and a half weeks into all the fun and games we're going to have and not worry about anything. Whereas... Kev, do you not have any? Do you have any images of white hankies being waved at the fair and the bell? It's a long time ago. I love that. I would love that. It's about as intimidating as Coronation Street, mate. <laughs> if you want to intimidate, go to go to the San Sebastian. I'm looking for Rita Fairclough to be in the stands. <laughs> looking for your man Alan T. <laughs> Give us a prediction, Kev. Um. I think we'll win a two 0 I think we'll no. get a clean sheet. I think I think Madrid will will just try to soak us up, hit us on the break, um, and they won't take us. They won't take us lightly. Um, I think we'll win on the night, but you fucking never know with us, do you? Yeah, yeah. all very we're sensible. Just mad, so. We're just we're just mad enough to go and do yeah. it, just out of spite, like. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I so. wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he went two 0 up. I can kind of see that how it got, you know. And then then Madrid will wake up and you know they, they'll 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 kind oh, of put us back. We'd be unbearable um, if we got through this tie. We'd be fucking unbearable, ah. and, and the world would. Know and it. deservedly so, yeah. by the way. Absolutely, yeah. I think it would be a bigger It would be a bigger win than the Barcelona win. Yeah. It would be. It would because doing it at home against. Barcelona is, was phenomenal. It was probably one of the best nights I've ever had watching Liverpool. But to go away after being written off completely, it would top that. It really would. It would top that. Well, I think Liverpool win 5 0. Um, so oh. we'll march on into the next round. So we'll leave it at that. I've been the host, Keith. This has been <laughs> winners or losers. Hey, Keith, what, what, Keith's what? basically. You're just, you're just waiting for the draw on Friday. That's what you're saying, isn't it? That's it, yeah. I don't know what he's all worried about. 5 nil. Bring, bring on Napoli. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sort them out. We owe them a favour as well. Yeah. Now, listen, this has been Winners and Losers. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see us all again. Even soon. the gammons. Good night, gammons. <laughs> Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.